0: Hello, everybody. Hi, welcome to Carly's Couch. We're excited for this episode for you today.
1: I feel like this episode is going to be something that we all need. I am super excited to introduce our special guest, Dr. Sandra Espinosa Sun. Or is it soon? Let me know if I. Sun. Sun. Perfect. Um, Dr. Espinosa Son received her BA in psychology at California State University, Fullerton. She received her master's degree in couple and family therapy at Alliance International University, Irvine, and her Doctorate of Psychology in Couples and fam- Family Therapy from Alliance International University, Los Angeles. She is a strong advocate for immigration reform and immigration rights, and her research has centered around how to best address the mental health needs of immigrants impacted by deportation. Dr. Espinosa's son also focuses on relationships and decolonizing therapy which is actually why she's here today like she's she has a huge track record of anything she could talk about but I was actually scrolling on Instagram and saw some really um, interesting posts that got me scrolling on her account and I had to hit her like hey can you please come sit on the couch
2: with us because we have some questions.
0: So, we appreciate so you being here with us today. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks, guys. I'm excited.
0: So, our first question for you is about you and your journey. How long have you been a therapist, and what does that journey kind of look like?
2: Yes. Um, so, I have been a therapist for almost 10 years now. I think maybe even going on 11. And um, I am a li- licensed marriage and family therapist. And so I do have a really small private practice where I mostly see couples and some women identifying clients. Um, but I'm also a full time faculty member at Alliant University and also the program director there for the couple and family therapy program. And I've been teaching for about uh, almost six years now. Um, so it's really nice because during the week, you know, I spend about like five days a week teaching people how to become a therapist, talking about therapy and really just kind of like diving into the theory aspect of it. And then on Fridays and just kind of sprinkled around, I'll see clients, um, to keep my clinical skills active and also have like real life examples to bring into the room for students who are learning how to be therapists. So it's a really nice balance.
0: That's cool. What makes up a good therapist? Like what are those key things that you kind of have to instill in them?
2: Yes. Um, I mean, I think that there is a few qualities that budding therapists should have, but the biggest that comes to mind is openness. Um, And I think that that really can encompass a lot of things. Um, Most importantly, I think different perspectives and different realities. I've just seen so many therapists who are really close-minded Um, come from a very Eurocentric Western idea of what individuals or family mental health should be. And it can be really damaging for clients if they have a very different lived experience, right? so for example, having perhaps maybe a white therapist um, who might be very conservative in their views, who might be treating an undocumented mom of three who, again is gonna have a very, very different lived experience, right? And so that therapist has to be very, very open in terms of how they might work with that client. Um, so, I mean, I can go down, yeah, a big rabbit hole from there, but I think that the biggest kind of like thing is, is really just like openness and curiosity um, to learn about somebody else's experience.
0: Yeah, I can imagine you can't come into working with patients coming from like a closed view of like this is how things should look or this is how it should be right. and i like how now when you look at a lot of these online platforms they ask if you prefer a person of color or a certain spiritual background things of that nature so that's right. good and probably important to connect on those things um right. but what you're mentioning is that connecting to this idea of decolonizing therapy because that's what you talk about a lot uh, carly kind of already brought that up um, but can you tell us, like, what that really means?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, decolonizing therapy, again, is also kind of an umbrella term, and it can, you know, apply to therapy in so many different ways. But in general, it really is deconstructing what we know about psychotherapy historically. Historically, again, it has been presented to us, fed to us from a very individual medical model, kind of pathologizing perspective and decolonizing would mean to really, you know, focus again on multiple realities and figuring out how instead are maybe like systems, for example, responsible for a person's individual psychopathology, how are systems of oppression and politics, policies also playing a part into what a person might be experiencing. So really like removing the blame from the individual and then putting it back on the system to hopefully create some liberation and social change
0: which is interesting because i would think anyway that the point of therapy or that a therapist would approach it not trying to put the blame on a person
2: yeah it's just that historically again that's the way that we've trained folks i mean we even we even talk about doctors right Mm -hmm. and like you know your kaiser doctor he's like what are you eating and what are you putting in your body are you exercising etc but what what makes uh, it difficult to exercise? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What makes it difficult? You can't afford for you to the membership, or something, mm-hmm. or what makes it eat, uh, hard to access healthy food, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not all my fault that I'm not well. Maybe it's the society that I'm functioning.
1: Wow, and that's you would think that that's intuitive. Like we would have known to consider all of these things, but I think um, the work that you're doing is so important because it's still probably not being done around the vast. Majority of the United States like it's still not even being considered if you are looking at all the states that are fighting against even teaching anything about critical race theory like that's what we're up against when it comes to stuff like this. Um, do yeah. you teach do you teach this in like is it a class or is it just part of all of your underlying teachings at um, Alliant.
2: Yeah, so we have a diversity class um, that students take their first year. I mean, it's like one of the first classes they take right because if you don't have an understanding of diversity. You really should not be working with clients especially in LA so it's one of the first classes that they teach and they, they talk a lot about critical race theory there but um, I you know I'm luckily in charge of the program and so I make sure that it's really embedded within every single class because unfortunately for a lot of therapy programs um, they'll only get that one class for like the diversity class and then that's it there's no mention about how to work with people of color, about how to work with marginalized groups and the special needs that they might have in terms of mental health. So it's really unfortunate and I agree Curly that we are really behind in terms of how we're teaching and training psychologists and therapists to work with folks that are different than them um, because it's still a lot of folks are still kind of like practicing from that very pathological individual model.
0: And I'd imagine it's probably pretty ingrained in people to approach things a certain way. Even if it's a person of color, they may be doing yeah. it the same kind of way. So I don't even think it's like, a, you know, certain people are like, hey, make sure you understand diversity, but everybody like there's always these thoughts that we can challenge from ourselves that you don't even realize sometimes until you're probably in a class like this or have to role play it or, or do something of that nature to step into those shoes.
2: Yes, absolutely. I tell my students that it's really a lifelong journey of unlearning everything that you really knew about the world, right? Because we've all been socialized um, to follow the rules, for example, to not question things, to not rock the boat, because white supremacy doesn't want folks to be enlightened. They don't want folks to radicalize, to revolutionize, right? And so you're going to really have to do so much work to like unlearn all the things that have been fed to you. I mean, unless you've been one of those lucky folks who've had like an amazing, you know, like parent who's like super woke Mm -hmm. from like the beginning, but like, I I know I did not And I didn't start my journey until like way later. Um, so it's, it's just, it's a long process. Mm -hmm.
0: And then what would you say that you see a lot of therapists get wrong? Like, are there any examples of, uh, things that you can point out that it's like, I see therapists doing this, they should do it this way instead.
2: Yeah, there's so many examples. Um, one that comes to mind is, and I can share this because this wasn't one of my clients. This was like a anecdote that was shared to me from somebody else that I had met. She was a black woman and she was seeing a white therapist and um she was seeing him for some like mood And I think she was having a hard time um, dealing with her mom who was addicted to uh, cocaine at the time. And so she started seeing this therapist and he right away, you know, starts referring to mom's addiction as a crack addiction, okay? Even though that's not what this woman was suffering from, all right? There's already, right? There is some microaggressions happening towards this woman and then he starts seeing the sessions you know they're, they're going on and then he starts saying that he needs a fee an extra fee on top of his regular fee um towards his mental health towards his self-care that he has to tack on to what? the, <laughs> the fee therapist me. said that the therapist said that no you got to take care of my Excuse mental health me? <laughs> So, I mean, can you imagine like the power dynamic of a white man asking a black woman to pay for his psychological labor, right? So, this person had, according to this woman, you know, had been practicing in the field for many, many years. This was a seasoned therapist. And this is just like one example of how therapists can be, in my opinion, you know, that's violence. Towards people of color, that is causing harm. Um, it's illegal, <laughs> of things, um, and there's just like so many examples of this, unfortunately. And and I say that too, not because I want to scare people away from therapy and they want to badmouth therapy. I mean, I, you know, this is what I do every day for a living. But it's really important that folks find a good therapist, and if they have bad experiences, to know that not everyone is like that, and that there are really good therapists out there. That is
1: so real. I almost never went to therapy again because the first time I ever went was with a white woman. And I told her all like, you know, intro session, kind of what's going on, had never even thought about going to a therapist. My mentor told like recommended me. This lady had like great reviews, like all these things went to her at the end of it. She was like, yeah, you know, I think you might have PTSD and some other things. And then she never called me back or returned an email ever. Oh my God and I just was like yo like what and my mentor was like no just I promise just try to find a therapist and I was so scarred I was like, like bro she tried why- to diagnose you Well, right at really? the, the end of the first intro session she was like well it sounds like you have PTSD and mm-hmm. you have this and you have this so she yeah. like stacked things on me mm-hmm. and then she never talked to me again like never responded to an email to a call mm-hmm. to to anything else and so I was like maybe I'm just so broken nobody wants to work with me Aww. thank god that, yeah. that you know wasn't sure. the truth but like like you said like that can really impact people on a, like a real level um, right did you always want to teach therapists or is this something that you always knew you wanted to do was like help
2: train them like in this or just in general no um, so I you know went to school just to become a therapist I really wanted to work with couples and didn't really have much plans post my master's um, but I had an amazing mentor who was like I think you should go for your doctorate and I think you should teach um, and I mean, I am first generation, I'm from Almani, which was like a lower SES community here in LA. Both of my parents didn't, again, go to higher ed. So I couldn't even have imagined like being a faculty member at a university. I had never had a professor who was Latina um, or Brown even. And so it just felt so far-fetched to me. But this mentor who was actually, you know, ironically a, a white dude, Um, really empowered me and believed in me and opened a lot of doors and, you know, just kind of inspired me to do this. And so here I am six years later.
0: And I think it's important because if we're talking about decolonizing, if we're looking at some of the issues that are happening among the system, it's like part of the systemic way to fix that is probably having to be part of teaching and part of uh, the bringing up of other people. For those listening, whether they are like, eh, about their therapist or they're thinking about getting a therapist, what pointers would you have for identifying if this is like the right person to work with or things to look for? If they do this, then you probably should look at somebody else.
2: Yeah. Um, You definitely want to steer away from someone who says that they're super eclectic. So for us, when someone says that they're eclectic in terms of their theoretical orientation, it means that. don't have one. It means that they're just borrowing here and there and that they might not have a lot of direction. So you want someone who is pretty um, committed to a theoretical orientation and has some training in that. Um, The other thing I think that you might want to look out for is just like that first session, like feeling whether or not you can trust that person. So research actually shows that the biggest agent of change for, for change in therapy is the therapeutic relationship. So it doesn't matter if that person is using CBT, EMR, critical race theory even, right? Any, any framework. If that relationship is there, there is so much potential for positive change in a person. So I would really feel out that first session and be like, you know, can I share my hopes and dreams with this person? Can I share my deepest darkest secrets like is that vibe there because if it's not it will make that therapeutic um, process a lot more challenging
0: yeah and i think that for some people or like even with myself it's already hard to even talk all the way like sometimes before therapy i'll be like man i'm kind of embarrassed to even bring this up like <laughs> yeah. and i'll find myself already trying to go around it and i'm like i don't know if that's a sign about just me though or is that a sign about how comfortable i feel with them so right right I don't know it might just be a me thing but um it's not i think no. it's hard I mean, no it's not because like i'm like uh, i don't even want to know all this right no, now that's
1: that i think that's a person thing i think we all do that kind of to protect mm-hmm. ourselves like so yeah you're sure. not alone it's not a you thing it's a it's a we thing
2: at least a we I can't speak for everybody else but it's me
1: too I think so
2: yeah I think I mean it's really intimidating to meet somebody brand new and then having to share you know so many pieces of your life and so I think it makes sense that, that first session you're still kind of feeling it out but again if it's already like the fifth sixth and you still don't feel mm-hmm. a connection with that person it might be time to find another therapist because that therapeutic relationship really is um, huge and I think Something else is just like to find a therapist that's down to earth because that adds to it. Like you want, there's so much of a power imbalance, I should say first, you know, therapists hold so much power and that speaks to what you were talking about, Carly. Like they give you a diagnosis, you know, you're trusting this professional who has sometimes a doctorate degree and like it's their expertise. You know, therapists have to be really aware of how much power they have in that room. And so for me, like being super down to earth and accessible and vulnerable even sometimes with clients really helps even that out a little bit and makes them more comfortable to share.
0: Thank you for that. So for our all the listeners, if you're working with a therapist, consider some of those things. Um, do you mostly work with individuals or, or do you mostly work with couples? There's a mix there.
2: Yeah. So Most of my training in the past, um, I worked for five years in community mental health and I was working with uh, lower SES um, Latina immigrants who had like suffered trauma of some sort. Um, A lot of the times it was sexual abuse, but also some like physical abuse and intimate partner violence. And so I did that for about like five years. Um, It was the most rewarding work I mean, you guys can imagine, right? Like the resiliency, the stories that you hear, it's just amazing. But also leads to a lot of like burnout because you're hearing trauma after trauma, like day after day. So I did that and then I had to step away because I started teaching at Alliant and then um, decided to just do private practice to kind of like balance it out. And so now that's where I'm at. And I mostly see couples and then just again, a, a few female identifying clients here and there.
1: Did you always know that you wanted to, you know, work with couples or how did you come into that?
2: Yeah, I always had an idea that I wanted to. I had really toxic romantic relationships um, in my 20s that really motivated me to learn more about relationships and just kind of learn more about like what makes them work. So that was always in the back of my mind. But when I started doing all that like trauma work, it kind of just... You know took the back seat but then when I started private practice and I had more like power over um, you know marketing and like choosing who I wanted to see and stuff like that I chose to kind of deep you know dive more into that couple work that I was always really curious about and now I love it um, it is just so exciting and you never know what you're going to get um, because, you know, couples are just so dynamic. Um, mm. You know, sometimes they're on good, you're on a good you know, on a good note and then other times you're breaking up. And so it really keeps me on my toes.
0: Yeah. As you were talking about it, I was wondering, like, what are the some of the challenges working with couples? Because, I mean, this is a very obvious statement, but people are so different. So it's like you have to deal with two different sometimes maybe personalities are coming from two different viewpoints and then trying to, or maybe you're not trying to bring them together, but like helping them to understand and explore what's really going on. Um, Is that more difficult than working one-on-one or maybe not so much?
2: You know, I, and I, I know I have a lot of colleagues who would disagree with me, but for me, working with couples is easier sometimes than working with individuals because, and this goes back to like decolonization and systems thinking, when you're with the individual, You're only seeing one piece a lot of the time Mm -hmm. of your life. And so you can only promote so much change because you're only working with one person. But if I get to see a family, for example, or a couple, I have more of those pieces of the puzzle that I can, you know, figure out a way to get all of those pieces to work together and then create, right, a new way of like interacting. So having that other person in the room for me just gives me a lot more information. Um, And again, really promotes like sustaining change because now there's more information being shared. There's more work that's being done essentially that can hopefully translate to outside of the therapy room. So I, I definitely think it's easier, but I know a lot of couples there, I mean, a lot of therapists would probably disagree with me.
0: I could see that, though, because on the receiving end, having, like, my one-on-one therapist, you know, it's like, okay, I feel like I'm doing something, but then I actually um, started doing couples therapy, and all of a sudden, I was like, oh, I didn't know you had all these issues, and, like, (laughs) so it's, like, a whole different story, and then it felt weird after that, um, to then, when I talked to my other therapist, it was two different ones, and it's like, man, I feel like now I'm just giving you the one side, and it just it didn't yeah. even feel right to talk about the relationship with the one person when it's like this is totally different when he's right beside me and like now we're really talking about everything and understanding each other's viewpoints
2: yeah absolutely i mean yeah i i really can't stress couples therapy enough for folks and like even like you said when you're even if you're doing well i think that it's really important to go because stuff will pop up um and Communication is probably one of the biggest reasons why I see couples in my practice is just poor communication, wanting to connect and not knowing how, and so they send the wrong message. So if you can start working on those communication patterns before they get bad, there's just a higher rate for success because a lot of the times, by the time people get into my office, they're on the brink of Mm -hmm. breaking up or divorce. So it's so much better to just catch it early on.
1: Yeah, I, man, that's kind of a light bulb moment. It's like, you know, when you said see, being able to see both sides. Because now, like like you said, when you're in there, yeah, you just hear roasted. one person. <laughs>
0: and I was like, what? <laughs> I did what? <laughs> this it, is totally different. But then
1: you're able to see both because, you know, it's like, it's like three sides of the story. One side, the other side, and then the truth. So it's kind of like you can kind of extrapolate from what happened when they both say. That's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, in the terms of like decolonizing therapy when thinking about relationships and one of your bios it mentioned you know helping relationships um how they're impacted with oppressive systems can you speak more to that and what that looks like
2: yeah so an example would be you know that sometimes I have partners who just don't know how to show up in that relationship in the healthiest way and a lot of therapist might just focus on like the trauma that that person might have like maybe they were sexually abused for example and that's why they have a hard time connecting with their partner but for somebody who does like the decolonizing work and is really a systemic perspective it's like well what caused that trauma so was it for example um, like poverty or was it deportation um, was it you know that you were also have been a victim of like racism for the past 25 years, like whatever that is. And really having conversations about those systems and how they might play a role in the presenting problem so that the client can then raise their consciousness, have a better holistic understanding of their presenting problem. Oh, it's not just me. It was because my parents were really poor and they couldn't keep an eye on me And maybe that's why I got into trouble, right? And so again, the more that that person has that conscious developed, the more that they can kind of lean towards liberation, advocate for themselves, start to also initiate change in those systems, right? I don't know. I mean, a small example would be like attending protests or just figuring out really small ways to disrupt systems that may have been oppressive towards them in the past. And then also again, feeling more empowered to like show up in that relationship in a different way. So, again, decolonizing, again, in essence, really is like depathologizing the individual experience and then finding ways to make that system responsible um, so that we can also take a step towards, towards shifting that system.
0: I feel like now we hear a lot more about taking responsibility for your life and accountability and all of these types of things. And in hearing you speak, it's like it makes sense to think about um, you know, I have this trauma as a result of some of these systems, but also it sounds like, is there a thin line between how am I not a victim or is that okay? Um, and I don't, I'm just trying to talk it out, but how would you address, you know, that whole like, oh, I'm responsible and accountable, but also, but hey, these things are existing and that has affected me as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and you're right, like that is a really fine line because I, this is gonna sound so pessimistic, but like, I don't think that I in my lifetime am going to see an end to a lot of the oppressive systems that exist in the United States. White supremacy is just so embedded in our country that it is, it, the future sometimes looks bleak. That being said, Um, clients might have to sometimes understand and accept that, that they are going to continue to function in a system that is working against them. So at some point, they might have to take that responsibility and initiative towards their healing because the system isn't going to do that for them, right? So for example, like, I don't know, we'll talk about poverty again. Poverty is not going to get better, right? It's going to be really hard for you to, um, you know, liberate yourself from that system, but what steps can together can we figure out so that you can just start to feel better on a day-to-day, and survival, really, really right, and helping you survive and, like, navigate the systems that aren't really going to go anywhere. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, but also, how can, how can I feel empowered and, and not feel like a victim?
2: Right. Well, I think you can do both. I, th- mm-hmm. I don't think that like one has to exist without the other. I think it's important to first understand that you were a victim so that you can feel empowered, right? Um, but again, so having that victim stance, you know, it's like, yes, you, you, were, you suffered at the hands of a lot of oppressive systems and you probably will and might continue to. Um, however, you know, this is taking a toll again on your mental health, on your day-to-day life. So what can we do to fight against that and again to, to try and tiptoe towards a liberated kind of like mentality um and a small example would be like how to find joy again mm-hmm. i like that you it's know? like a
1: yes and mm-hmm. yes yes and. It's like, like we yes, can acknowledge it of this and it's important to acknowledge so mm-hmm. you can understand the impacts and how it might still affect you and right. you also have to mm-hmm. work to heal and to feel better mm-hmm. Right. Right. Like when
0: people tell you you can't be responsible for everything, but you can be responsible for how you move forward and deal with yes, these things. I love that. But I guess a yeah. lot of times we do internalize, you know, maybe the trauma instead of ever really thinking about all the things that really added to that, why your family grew up in this place in the first place, or why this or that happened. Um, right. And so I, I think that is a little bit more clear now with how that can make sense and you be empowered to, further develop and further grow from that space
2: yeah and it's hard right like again it's hard because these systems are going to continue to persist and we just have to find like small ways to feel empowered and yeah like I just mentioned like one of the ways that I always tell my students is just like find like joy you know everything in this world is working against you being happy capitalism racism sexism Poverty, I mean, how can you just be happy today because that in itself is a radical act? Mm-hmm.
0: And so when you're in these sessions with couples, does it feel like you're just asking so many questions about like just the foundations of their life and and Getting them to recognize those
2: things Yeah, I mean it depends on the theoretical orientation that you're using um, so like if you're doing something that's more intergenerational when you're looking at the past or if you're using a model that's more looking at the present, um, so that really like guides what kind of questions you ask. But as, again, a, a therapist who implements a lot of those like critical race theory concepts, I do think that it's so important to get an understanding of like where folks have been, um, what has happened to them, so that you can start connecting some of those dots. So, I feel like folks should just come into therapy really prepared to maybe revisit some things that might not be um, you know, the, the happiest or easiest to revisit or talk about, but it's, it's absolutely necessary so that we get um, a holistic kind of picture of what might be contributing to what you're experiencing now.
0: And you mentioned um, traumatic relationships in the past, and I know you're married now, Because you're a relationship therapist, do you have a perfect relationship now? Like, what kind of things do you see with yourself? And I always wonder how therapists operate with their own life if they, like, stop and step out of themselves and, you know, manage their own traumas and things of that nature. But what does that look like for you?
2: Yeah, Um, it's definitely not a perfect relationship. There's absolutely no such thing. If anyone says that, they are lying (laughs) to you um the healthiest relationships actually take the most amount of work and so for us you know probably being married to me there's I see how you crossed your arm first
0: of all (laughs) don't think I didn't notice that she was like first of all
2: (laughs) she's about to keep it real talking (laughs) I'm sure he's just so like tired of just like talking because we have to talk about everything right and it's exhausting like it's tiring no one wants to talk at 10 o'clock at night when you're like tired and you're upset, but you should try not to go to bed angry. Um, that's, it. that's definitely like a couples therapy tip. So we do a lot of talking and it's, just, it's a lot of work. We just had a baby, um, which is another added layer to you know the stress of a marriage and still navigating that. And so it's just, it's a lot of work. Um, but in terms of also, yeah, just like being married to a therapist. I mean, there is, you know, I have like late night clients sometimes and you know folks are like breaking up with me on camera um, or sharing again things that have been really traumatic in the past and then I have to like right now with teletherapy like leave the room and then go watch you know Netflix or go out to dinner or whatever it is like it's stupid. sometimes it's hard I think to transition and I feel like partners have to be really understanding of that sometimes. So do therapists
1: have special therapists just for therapists? Or and I know
2: that sounds real dumb, but I really want
1: to know, yeah. like, um, you know, how you all take care of, how, take care of your mental health oh, whenever no. you are carrying so much and holding so much space. You charge Everybody your clients else. more, a fee. Oh yeah, self care fee, right? <laughs> so you could go to the spa. She said that was illegal. You got <laughs> to get locked up?
2: Yeah, there are therapists who specialize in working with other therapists. Um, I saw a Kaiser therapist for a while, and I don't know, I mean, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not going to talk bad about Kaiser right now, but sometimes managed care, managed healthcare systems don't do the best, again, also at offering good training for therapists, and so that one really didn't work out, but there are therapists who specialize in working with therapists, and so I think that's probably the number one way that we take care of ourselves, Um, And then number two is just like, yeah, like the same advice that I give my clients is like, how do I find joy at the end of the day? How do I do things that make me feel good that I can unplug with so that I'm not carrying, you know, my client's trauma on top of my own lived experience, right, Lance? So it's a lot. You guys hear me okay? Did I cut off?
0: It froze for a second. And now I think it's like trying to catch back up. (laughs) Okay. Oh yeah. I see. It's like there a slight. Yep. No, it, it's yeah. matching you now. Um, Sorry about that, that makes sense. Um, one more question about relationships. If in general, you could give us and the listeners maybe like three tips or a few tips um, for a successful relationship or for those yeah. who are coupled up.
2: Yeah. Um, the first, I think I would say, was to create opportunities for shared meaning. And so setting out a time a day or a week, a month, even for folks who are really busy, they might be parents, to do something together that can be new or just fulfilling, exciting, making you feel good. Again, research also shows that the more that couples have these like shared experiences together, that the higher the marital satisfaction will go, because you're creating and assigning a new meaning to an experience, so that could be like trying out for like a boxing class or um, you know taking dancing lessons like anything that can keep that relationship like fresh and alive, and again bring new meanings in I think that that one's always a really good tip um, and the second is probably again goes back to like communication. Um, a go-to tip is that when you are discussing something with your partner, or even with anybody else really, is to start with an I statement and really just focus on what you're experiencing and what you're feeling, and not blame the other person. So an example would be like, you know, um, let's say that you know your partner um, left some food out, and the food spoiled, and they were supposed to put it in the refrigerator. To say something like, you know, I noticed that the food was left out, and um, you know, I was really looking forward to eating that meal, and wondering if next time um, we can find a way to like remember to put it back inside. Right. So I don't know if you guys noticed, but I really just focused on my experience and using really like neutral language. I never even said you, right? Um, And those neutralizing statements can make it easier to have conversations that can be uncomfortable because there's no blame being assigned to anything. So really working on communication. um, I I think maybe the last tip is just being open and vulnerable to not be scared to share when you are upset. Um, I think that a lot of the times what fuels divorce and separations is that folks have been carrying resentment for a really, really long time. And they've never been able to share that with their partner. So, again, nobody wants to do it at 10 o'clock at night. Nobody wants to do it at 8 o'clock in the morning. But those conversations will save your relationship. It's worth it. It's worth the distress and the uncomfortable feelings. Um, So to do those as often as possible.
0: How can you share and be open without it coming across as, like, you always have something to say, you know? Because you don't want to ever feel like you're maybe nagging or whatever, but... If there are things you're feeling you know like you don't want to always have to bring that up yeah
2: well ironically right though like the more that you bring it up the more opportunities that you're creating for that problem to get solved or for mm-hmm. that conflict to go away so i would encourage you at least in the beginning to still bring it up And you can preface it the way that you said it, right, Alexia, by saying, you know, I hate bringing this up. This is so hard for me because I don't want you to feel bad, but I just really feel like I need to get it off my chest. Mm -hmm. I think even saying, saying it that way lets the partner know, like, hey, this isn't about you. Like, this is just still going on for me. I'm watching out for your feelings, but I think we still need to bring that up. So I think couples will notice though, that if they have a lot of those in the beginning, that they'll actually slow down over time because every time you're having that conversation, you're building trust. Mm -hmm. And so once that trust rapport is really, really there and it's high, those little things, you're going to let them fly by next time and the next time because the relationship is just getting more and more solid from all of that communication that you've been putting into it.
0: Yep. I can vouch for that too, because that's something I learned when it's like, instead of just holding everything in, cause I'm a person, I don't even want to talk about anything, but instead of holding it in and then something crazy happening, it's like, it's okay to express, Hey, I'm nervous about saying this, or I'm not really sure how to say it, but, and just like, just start, um, and get it out. Um, that was good.
1: Yeah, man. Good three points. It. Those were amazing. That's definitely going to be one of the things that we caption um, <laughs> after the video. Thank you so much for sharing. I man, I feel like I've grown like in my thinking. I'm like, man, I need to write some stuff down and think through some stuff. So thank you for sharing all that. Um, we do a shout out every week and we uh, always want to highlight our guests to share. Like, how can people support you? How can they, like, do you have any resources where they can sign up for something? Or where do you want them to follow you if you do? <laughs> like, um, you yeah. know, Are you taking
0: any new patients? Like, what's yeah. what got going on?
2: Yes, yeah. So I do have um, my private practice and I do take on couples pretty actively. I do like to keep it a little bit small, but I am open right now. Um, you guys can follow me on my website, which is Dr. Um, And that's the same Instagram handle. So it's all, you know, just my name, with doctor in front of it. Um, but yeah, if you guys want to just stay in touch on Instagram, I'm trying to be a lot better again about like posting and just sharing my ideas. Um, just because I know, again, that like the field of psychology kind of needs that decolonizing social justice perspective. Um, so I'm trying to be better about that. But Again, thank you guys so much for having me on and just letting me share my thoughts about relationships and the world. Well, thank Thank you. you.
0: I think it's really important just having the lens that you come from. I think that makes it different than just another therapy conversation. Um, And that's important. And I hope the listeners get that out of it to think about, you know, all these other things that are contributing to, you know, what's going on. It's not just you and you having an issue and you're dealing with things but um, I would recommend that everybody kind of look more into decolonizing therapy and what that looks like what that means and you know see if that's helpful.
1: Absolutely and thank you for all you do training therapists like creating a whole program Mm -hmm. to help therapists learn these things because I've been to a few not great ones um, Mm -hmm. at least not as well Um, let me not call them not great they might be great in their own right but they don't understand that. And I think that is very problematic and can be really harmful. So just thank you for doing that work on yourself so you can actually provide that space for everybody else. And then we always end the episode with a question of the week. And I was smiling the whole way through because this question is so you like after hearing the episode. So I'm going to ask you first, Sandra, okay. what is one thing you will do today simply to make yourself happy?
2: Will do. Oh my gosh, Curly, that's so hard because... I don't practice what I preach. I get so bad. I'm like, oh, self-care, whatever, to the clients and stuff. And I'm like, I am so bad at it. So now I really have to, like, think. Um, I'm going to make myself, because I teach late tonight and teach until, like, 9 p.m. So after class, I'm going to make myself a special dessert and enjoy that while watching Mm -hmm. the club.
0: That's basically what I was going (gasps) to say. You deserve, you (laughs) you
1: deserve. But that's why I was laughing because the whole time you're telling everybody, you know, find joy. That's how you can, you know, that's radical. Like joy is an act of rebellion. And so I'm excited for your dessert after class. Lexi, what is,
0: what dessert you make? I was going to say the same thing. I got some bubblegum ice cream in the freezer and I was going to pull that out and put on the next episode of the show I'm watching. So I think that, you know, one thing that we, in this like hustle time, kind of always put down like watching too much tv or whatever and it's like I don't watch that much but I like to actually have a set time and it's like I'm not doing other things and let me just watch this episode enjoy this episode um and like enjoy that time like it doesn't have to be you know something where you feel like you're being a loser just because you're like watching Netflix (laughs) so that's Mm -hmm. what I'm gonna do too just relax
1: um I was about to say so I actually have some ice cream too so (laughs) that's part of mine but I'm gonna um, get my shower real hot and put some essential oils in there and just take a whole Ooh. nice little bath and condition my hair and then take a little bit of extra time for myself tonight. That
0: nice sounds man. delicious. Put on some R&B. Know what I'm saying? <laughs> know what I'm saying? And then eat my ice cream. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> That's good. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Um, and all the listeners, we hope you connect with Sandra online and keep up with all the good work that she's doing. And we'll Thanks. see y'all next week.